Hello, welcome back. I am Charles Musgrove, host of Answers That Count podcast, and today we've got a special show for you. We've got two podcast shows colliding into one. We have Terrell Turner with Business Talk Library. Terrell, welcome to the show, and I'm going to let you introduce your show and then kick it back to me, and I want to say some administrative things about the show. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, for all of our listeners for the Business Talk Library, I mean, this is a new style we're doing with, you know, colliding two shows into one. I'm excited to have Charles Musgrove on, as you've already heard him talk about the name of his show, but we're going to talk about some exciting things and really give a lot of value. So I'll kick it back to Charles. Great. Yeah, this is, uh, you know what we do. We try to bring the nuggets of knowledge to for our for our visitors, our viewers. And while you're while you're getting started on the show, make sure that to uh, hit the subscribe button, the like button, and hit the remind button. Hit that notification bell so that when we post shows in the future, you'll be notified to go watch them. And we're on all your favorite podcast channels, whether you're watching or viewing. Uh, we're out there on all of those channels. So just be sure and catch the next episode. And be sure and like and subscribe to the show as you're watching it here. So, Terrell. Man, it's great to have you on the show, and you are, we've got a lot in common. Uh, you are also a CPA, and you do accounting work. I think you do, you specialize in providing CFO services and outsource bookkeeping services to your clients. So I've got a history of doing the same thing, so we have a lot in common. So thanks for, for uh, hooking up on this show. Very good to have you. Absolutely. My, my pleasure. You know, it's always, I always tell people, you know, it's, it's great when you can talk to other people who are in your field. Because um, I think some people are afraid to do it because they feel like they're in competition. But I'm like, there's so much value you learn from talking to people who have experience and different perspectives on the industry that you're in. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. So the uh, let's talk a little bit about the the history of the outsource bookkeeping and accounting. I know I'm. Uh, I've probably got a few more gray hairs and less hair than what than what you have. So I've probably been in this in this deal a lot longer than you have. So, you know, when I when I was in uh, when I got my career started, I started in the CPA world. So I was providing the traditional CPA services, the audit review, tax services, the compilation services. And at that time, back in the in the 80s, you know, you didn't see a lot of outsourcing, at least in in the small to medium sized businesses that that may have been more in vogue for the big companies. But for the small companies, you really didn't see that. And then probably in the in the 90s, you heard more companies start to outsource their bookkeeping and their back office processes. And today, if you look at it, fast forward today, it's really commonplace that all business sizes, whether small or large, they look at having the most efficient back office operation as possible. So outsourcing their their accounting and their other back office operations are pretty they're they're pretty common today. So I don't know what your experience to see that trajectory uh, from non acceptance to acceptance or if you've if you've been more in the it's always been accepted and it's just how do we get the word out to our potential client base. Yeah, I mean I've seen it um change a little because when I started in, in accounting, I mean, it wasn't outsourced, but one of the, the experiences I think that really shined a light when I worked for General Electric, we were early in going into like finance transformation, centralizing accounting to a global operations center. And it was like, you know, moving it to a team that was offsite, 
Um, at the time, it was a team in Cincinnati. So all the, the operations around the U.S. were moving all their accounting to Cincinnati. And, and it really felt like, hey, we're moving it out of our hands. You know, one of the things that was very interesting to me is like, it just seemed like there was this emotional process for a lot of people to kind of let go, like, hey, this is going to be out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, kind of like you mentioned about having more experience, I'm curious from your background as well is, was it as much of an emotional process when people started to adopt outsourcing or, you know, did people resist much in your earlier days when you were looking at it? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. You know, when I first started, uh, I was with a CPA firm until 2001. So I was in a CPA firm environment. So very traditional. Uh, and then you could, if you remember back to, to the 2000s, the late 1990s is when the Sarbanes-Oxley came into play. So there was really a focus on more regulation, more compliance in that industry. So that really separated what the CPA folks could do versus if they had any involvement in in assisting with the, the books and records themselves. So they it really it really separated that even more so than it was before that. So yes, there was a there was a huge resistance and really an education process to to the client base or to the potential client base on what does it mean and it's okay that somebody not in your office is involved in the accounting process and that back office process and that it's as secure, maybe even more secure than it was if somebody's in your office working on a server that's in the closet in your office. So there there was really, in the early years, there was really an, an education process. Today, you don't really have to educate the general public or your, or your potential client base on what it means and how it works. It's very much more accepted and the knowledge base is already out there. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, that, I think that makes a lot of sense because it's something that, as you know, we said, outsourcing has become more of a thing. People have seemed to be more open to it. And, and I guess that's where I kind of benefit from all of the education that was put in to where now bringing on the topic of outsourcing, people are a bit more open to it from what I've seen in my experience. And, and even now, I think with the advancement of uh, security and technology, that I think that really helped people start to get a little bit more comfortable of knowing that, hey, there is a level of security, even though it's happening remotely. So I think, yeah, we've definitely seen that increase. And I've been the benefactor of all that education that went in. Yeah, and you're, you're exactly right. If you think of it from the 2000s, over the past 20 years, the advancement in technology has just been, it's, it's happened exponentially. I mean, it's, it's really just been mind-boggling to think the the advancements that have been made in that time period and what goes along with that is the uh the financial uh technology as well i mean quickbooks online that that's just become uh really commonplace for people to be able to use that and that's kind of the go-to software you've got so many people that that work on that that rely on that that software your banking is done online. You carry your all of, I mean, think of all the stuff that you carry on your phone and the business transactions, the social media uh, communications that you have all on your phone. So it's really, uh, it's made that process of outsourcing and having a digital platform that includes your financial transactions. So it's just become more accepted. People are used to, to pointing and clicking and doing a transaction. So they become on in their personal life. So that's easier to transform over into their business world as well. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I think it's something that will continue, especially as people start realizing is, you know, what I really need are the insights from the accounting and the finance information to where I think as people start to see that, hey, the technology is helping them get the insights faster. I think more people have been more open to like, hey, maybe I don't need this in-house because what I really need is what insights or what answers or what clues is this going to give me about the decisions that we kind of need to make next. So I, I think that's definitely a trajectory that will continue and people are, are you know more open to it the more that I talk to people and reaching out to companies. So I completely agree with you on that. Yeah, totally. And the really what you want to happen is you want to make the routine, you want to make that process as efficient as possible. And then if you're, then you can focus your time and effort on the variances or the exceptions or, or the things that really need a strategy or analysis so that, that you don't spend all that time. If you have 20 hours in a week, you don't want to spend 18 on the routine processing and only two on the, on the high end, more important stuff. If you can, if you can shrink that 18 process down to five or six hours, and then you have the rest of the time either give it back to another process or it goes into the the analysis part of the the financial data. So that's really what you're looking at is making it more efficient and usually when you make it more efficient, you can also make it cheaper and and less expensive. So it's about making it effective and efficient. Awesome. Awesome. So I really think that that's it. Now you never want to think that the financial part of it or the accounting part of it becomes a commodity commodity that you're just you're just shopping it based on price and it's all the same that I don't know that that we're th I know that we're not there today and I don't think that that we'll ever get to that point I don't think it it becomes a commodity that you can get the same thing from from the from different service providers there's always going to be a different level of service from different service providers mm -hmm. no I think that makes sense you know one of the things that makes it makes me like curious about is you know, have you kind of moved through the history of seeing, you know, where we weren't doing outsourcing to where people started adopting it to where, you know, it seems like there's it's a natural evolution for your own practice or, you know, the, the firm that, that you started and, and worked in to where as that evolved, I mean, did you see for yourself of you looking to say, okay, how do I evolve with this? Absolutely. And then also, you know, leading to, uh, you know, thinking about like, you know, whether it's your exit from that industry. So kind of how did that journey go for you? Yeah, that was, uh, I was a partner in a CPA firm. I transitioned out of that farm, firm and started my own bookkeeping outsource firm and then built that up over 20 years and recently sold that to a larger uh, firm that was very similar to what we did on a, on a regional basis. They're more on a national basis and they've even taken the the technology part of that and how to work in a virtual setting even to the next level. Whereas uh, most businesses uh, that are in the accounting space or the CPA space, they still have a physical office. And I think what happened in 2020, we saw that those businesses that worked out of a, an office building, they were forced to transition to working more virtual and even more of on a, on a remote basis. So it really it showed businesses that you're able to work outside of a, the traditional office space. So the, the firm that I sold to, they even, they were already at that point where they're, they're basically their go-to or their first, 
instinct is to have people work virtual. So they're, they work from their home in a secure environment from their home, and all of their technology is very secure, but it's all online systems. So one of the reasons that I exited is because I went with a firm, sold to a firm that had that runway in place, so it provided a better opportunity for the clients that, that we have already, uh, and it allowed our people, our employees, more opportunities to expand beyond just a regional basis that we were located. Who knows, man? Yeah, 2021 is uh, is starting out with a bang. So there's uh, there's a there's a lot of things that are in play right now for 2021. We see on the on the national scale and even probably down to each your local level as well as my local level. So uh, how do you see what you're doing with the podcast? Uh, how do, how does that relate over to your accounting services that, that you provide your clients? Yeah, so one of the things we noticed is that for a lot of companies, you know, they don't really have an accounting and finance background, or they may have a brief exposure to it. And one of the, the challenges that they had when we were talking to them about the services is that they were familiar with what a CPA did, and they were familiar with the taxes, and which... I think is great. I mean, I'm, I'm a CPA. I highly value what's done in that aspect, but I started noticing that they really didn't understand the value that could come from having, you know, bookkeeping or having CFO services to really help them navigate the decisions that need to be made based on the numbers. So we started doing the content really to, to shine a light on that, to, to doing the podcast of talking about different topics and helping, you know, kind of going through like the earlier stages of outsourcing where, hey, there was education that came and then people started seeing like, oh, this is what how a CFO can help my business or, hey, these are things that I need to be thinking about. Like, hey, I need somebody who knows how to think through the numbers to help inform my decision-making process. So the content and the podcast really became the vehicle to start helping people go down that journey of education and understanding. And, and I think it's been a phenomenal way to really help people in a non-threatening way to help them understand like, hey, there's a little bit more to this than what you thought. Absolutely. And I think that that's, uh, you know, we we're talking about it before on bookkeeping becoming a commodity and really making that process more efficient. I don't know that we'll ever be to the point, and it really emphasizes what you just said, where you take the the analysis part out or the human part of it out. It's still it, it's still a service process in that whether it's you or whatever that that person interfacing with the client and explaining the books and explaining the numbers. I think that person is so critical in providing that education, whether it's current education on what happened last month or whether it's more big picture and this is uh, how you define what's on a current asset on a balance sheet. So I think that person is always key and the person explaining it and doing the, and doing the analysis work is it will never be eliminated. 
Yeah, I completely agree because I think that there's so many moving pieces to that. I mean, even if I think about just like a, you know, a, a basic, you know, a basic scenario of if you're analyzing, hey, sales went up this month. If, you know, the company sells multiple products, then you got to dig a little bit deeper. Okay, which product drove it? And hey, was that a macro impact or did we change our marketing strategy? And I think there's so many different reasons as to why that outcome happened. And I think that's where, like you said, the human element, it becomes very vital of having someone who can think through those multiple aspects and, and really kind of pull out those insights and say, all right, we can probably connect the effect of this to, hey, these actions that kind of led to the cause of it. So that people you know, who are running the business, who are doing the day-to-day -day execution, they kind of understand a little bit more, hey, when I do this action, this is the potential outcome that it could lead to. And so you kind of know what levers to pull in your business to help keeping it, keep moving it forward. Absolutely. And I'll, I try to tell clients all the time that what you see on the books and what you see in the financial statements should reflect reality. So if they don't look, if those numbers don't look right and they don't match up with what you think is happening out on the floor or in your business, then there's a good possibility that there's a disconnect there. Either there needs to be more explanation or maybe things are put in the wrong bucket on the financial statements or the bookkeeping. So uh, those two have to communicate and reality has to be reflected in those financial statements. And the, the operator, the owner of the business has to understand that and believe those numbers or, or there's, a, there's a failure in the communication or the execution of doing the accounting work. Absolutely. And I think that that becomes very, very critical because I tell people, if you're going to depend on the financial statements, you want to make sure that it's telling the right story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because that's really what the, what, you know, as an accountant, you know, that's really our job is to tell the business story through numbers. And if the num the story that's being told through the numbers, like you said, doesn't match up with what's actually happening, you're really going to run into issues because you're going to start making, you know, decisions that may not necessarily be the right decision. It's just because you started with the wrong story. Yeah. But I think, like you said, is as those start to match up, you really can start to see the real value. And I think that comes from an accountant who's, who's willing to, you know, the, to get out of just being back office and really engage with the business to understand, hey, are the numbers telling the same story was really happening so that the users of the information have more value. Yeah, I think that's so true. And, and one of the, the, uh, the hesitancies or the, or the, I guess the barriers that a lot of accountants is, is the communication part and the bookkeepers, they may go in, into the back office and they may do all the accounting in the books and they're, they're balanced and they're done but there really needs to be that communication to the owner to explain, okay, here's what we see in the books. This is the story. Just like you said, this is the story that your books and records and your financial statements are, are showing. Does that match the story that you think actually happened? So I think that it, that is so important. I want to shift gears and talk about 2021. I know we're on the front end of 21 right now. We're in the first part of first half of February. So we still have 10 and a half months left of the year. So would like to get your perspective on kind of some broader pit, some broader views of 21. And let's start with 
the $15 an hour minimum wage. That's that's affected us in here in Florida. Uh, we had a, uh, an amendment that was passed in the November election that has the trajectory of the minimum wage going up to $15 an hour over the next five years, I believe. So we've seen that happen in other states. I think there's over 30 states that, that a similar amendment has passed uh, in by 2020. So what, what do you see how that's going to affect your clients and the economy in whole? Yeah, I mean, I think on the individual clients, I think it really forces them to go back and really look at the financial side of their business plan. Because, I mean, when you think about, you know, a, a, a piece of your cost structure changing that drastically where, you know, some places where they were used to minimum wage was $7.25 and then you jump up to $15 to where now you really need to go back and see, okay, financially, do, does my business model still make sense? Right. And, and I think that there are a lot of businesses who probably aren't as prepared to look at that. And, you know, and it, it came up to me because there's a, a, one of my clients is looking to expand, you know, their restaurant to open more locations. And, you know, originally we were looking at, hey, based on, you know, the, the rent and based on the cost structure, you need, you know, 10, in, 10 customers a day spending X amount of dollars per order to break even. Now, when you increase the minimum wage, it's like, okay, now your break-even point becomes more. And the question you have to ask yourself is, do you think that's a realistic customer volume that you can achieve with this new cost structure? So I think you'll see a lot of businesses going back, or hopefully you'll see a lot of businesses going back and reassessing their business model, because that's going to be a huge change for them. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've got a lot of restaurant clients in our the business that I had serves a lot of, of restaurant clients and it's a dramatic effect on that industry because you have the, the tipped wages. And here in Florida, we have the, uh, the tip credit. So there is a benefit that uh, goes back to the, to the business owners uh, for the tip credit. So uh, many states don't have that. I know on a, on a federal basis where, the, where they're looking at a federal law to change it to $15 an hour, they're not considering the tip credit. So uh, you're absolutely right that so many businesses that are impacted by that $15 an hour uh, minimum wage increase, they really need to rethink not only their business model, but if they're, for instance, on the on the restaurant side, if they're a full service restaurant, then they're going to be impacted a lot more with that minimum wage change than they would be a fast casual. So a McDonald's is going to be impacted differently than um just say a TGI Fridays or a Denny's or places like that that are full service restaurants. So the the ripple effect on that is just dramatic how it goes through that business from the people that work inside of the business to the workers comp insurance to the health insurance to paying for the food cost. All of those all of those layers of that income statement are impacted by that change in the minimum wage. So if you're, if you're talking about restaurants, they're already operating on a very thin margin. So it's going to be, it, it really, for many restaurants, is going to tip them over into the, a bad place. That's yeah. what we're and seeing. It, so, I, I mean, you, you mentioned some example, one example there with, with restaurants, a restaurant client that you had. And I just think that's going to be heavily on the restaurants and throughout other uh, industries as well. 
And I think it's really going to lead a lot of businesses to have to make some very tough decisions about their business where, you know, some businesses may have have had aspirations of expanding at a very fast rate where they may not necessarily be able to do that. They, They may have to rethink that. And, you know, that for, I think for a business owner, when you're building a business, I think that the process gets very emotional because, you know, there's so much of you that's invested in it that when you're forced to change your plans as a result of something that was outside of your control, it may make the process even more emotional that I think a lot of business owners are really gonna have to take a hard look at what they're doing. Because even as I talk to some business owners where they're like, you know, they wanna do right by their employees and you know, they, they care about their employees, but at the same time, they also have to balance the fact of if we go out of business, then, I'm not going to be able to help my employees at all. So it's exactly. like they're really in a very interesting place. Yeah, it's a bad place. Uh, it's a challenging place. I won't say it's a bad place, but it's a challenging place. And we've seen where uh, large chains are, of restaurants have either closed, they've, they've temporarily closed, or they're looking to change their model from full service to the fast casual. So I think all of that puts more emphasis on changing the potentially changing the model or going to more uh, kiosk type things. I know in, in McDonald's that that's become more commonplace to see the kiosk when you order. So other full service restaurants you go to and you sit down at the, at the table and you can order from an iPad or another device at the table. So I think all of those things are going to be more common, more commonplace in that industry. And although the legislation is intended to m- keep people employed and pay people more money, the effect of that, the unintended consequences may be fewer people are employed as a result of that. So you have higher unemployment and it, and it really makes the, the cost benefit uh, more affordable to put more money into the technology part, less in employees. So it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's very sad to see that that could be the result of this increase in the minimum wage. Yeah, I do. And I think, as you mentioned about the technology on the indirect side, I think, you know, what we probably will see is a rise in, you know, technology firms that are bringing a technological solution to this that allow, like you said, with the kiosks. So if you're in the business of making kiosks or you're in the business of creating the technology for it, you know, it can become a good opportunity for you to where, hey, more businesses will be looking for the product that you have. So I think it's going to have a direct and I think a very interesting indirect effect that starts to happen. Yeah, I think it's uh, as more as more uh, dollar pressure comes on that industry, you're going to see it evolve also. So who knows what it's going to look like in a, in a couple of years as this minimum wage ticks up to that $15 an hour. Once it reaches that, there's no stop at 15. It continues to increase after that. So we'll see how that happens across the United States. I know that Florida is not the only state that has that. It's like I said, it's in over 30 states has already been mandated that that $15 an hour minimum wage increase. Yeah. What it, else it do you see? Interesting journey. What else do you see for uh, 2021? I know it's uh, you know, we've got on a federal basis, we're looking at already another $1.9 trillion being pumped into the economy to prop it up as a result of this COVID uh, issue that we faced in 2020. So 
it uh are you concerned at all about the amount of money that's been that's gone into the economy to pump it up and the high stock market values that we have on the stock exchange right now and the just the flood of the the US dollars into the economy yeah i mean i would say i mean it is definitely a, a bit of a concern in you know from multiple perspectives because one of the things that I, I look at from, you know, working with small businesses a lot is, you know, a lot of small businesses, I mean, they're, they're able to, they're, they're able to survive on, you know, money being dumped into the economy. And one of the questions that I ask them is, you know, if we take a look at the fundamental piece of your business, if you were not getting these capital infusions, would you be able to survive? And what I think is, you know, it's, it's inevitable that, you know, we can't continue to dump money into the market right. inevitably. So it's like, if the core of your business is not sustainable, then, you know, all we're doing is delaying the inevitable for your business. Like we really need to get back to that. And I think, you know, when there is a ton of money um, being infused, I think a lot of people don't take a very honest look to see, hey, does this even work? Because right. I think the excess money hides some of the underlying problems. And so I think as you know, we see more money dumped into the economy, I think what it's doing is it's shielding some of the underlying issues that need to be addressed. And I think the longer those issues stay shielded, the bigger they start to get. And when we get to a point where, hey, we can't infuse more money, these issues that become so big that I think some people are going to be overwhelmed by the problem that they've been ignoring because of the excess cash. Yeah, I think that's that is uh, that's so true. And that the the ease of getting money right now, just like you said, can shield the problems that these businesses have. And it may it may prevent them or insulate them from being forced to make a decision about changing their business model, maybe with this this infusion of money down to the micro level to the company level maybe they need to use that money to uh, adapt their business to a new model so it's uh, I think that's so true the easy path is to is to take the money and continue things as they are when reality may be telling you hey we need to change our model because things have changed so that we can't operate like we were before and be profitable without getting that money from the U.S. government. Yep, I totally agree. And I, and I even challenge some people and say, that, you know, if they took the forgiveness piece off the table and you had to pay this back, could you? Right. And when we start really looking at that, a lot of them come to realize, like, you know, I couldn't afford to pay this back. Like, this has to be forgiven. I'm like, well, what happens if the rules for forgiveness slightly change when it's time to apply for it? Like, what are you going to do then? And, and I think really getting people to really think about that, because, you know, and, and again, it's another difficult place to be or challenging place to be in to where it's like, I know that I need the money, but also thinking like, hey, let's let's really get to the core. Of what's the real issue that needs to be addressed here that can allow your business to to succeed? Because I'm a huge fan of people being able to be cash flow positive in their business so that your business can pay for itself. Right. And what decisions do we need to do? Because I like to run a lot of um, models and, and we'll, where we'll run like the, the, the cash flow, the balance sheet and the income statement out a couple years and say, okay, what would it look like if we got no more capital infusions? 
And if that number on cash continues to go negative, it's like, okay, all right, what do we need to do today to change the trajectory of that so that we can start self-funding the business? That way, if you do happen to get your hands on low-cost capital, it becomes an asset, not necessarily something you need to survive. Exactly. Becomes a benefit or gravy on top rather than just it, it allows me to survive another three years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I completely Absolutely. agree. Totally. Listen, uh, what's your final comment or, or topic that you want to hit on before we wrap up today? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I could say to a lot of business owners is to really start utilizing the finance professionals that you, you engage with, whether you have a bookkeeper, whether you have a CPA, to really start asking them to help you think through those tough decisions in your business. And the truth of the matter is, is if they're not in a position to be able to help you think through those things, then it may be time for you to upgrade your service to, you know, a new firm that can help you because the accounting and the finance function is there to help empower smart money decisions when it comes down to your business. And if they're not filling that role, then they're not really adding the value that they could. Right. Very well put. And I think it's uh, we as CPAs and accounting professionals, we always value uh, what we can provide to the decision making process to the owners. And that is so true. And we've seen so many times where people, the business owners have not taken that into account and they've really gotten themselves into trouble and it's it can be too late to rescue them. So use your accountant, use your CPA, your CFO to evaluate your current condition to make the most of it and to adapt where appropriate. So Terrell Turner, it's been awesome to have you on the show today and look forward to, let's, let's do this again in the future. Absolutely. Yes. It's definitely been a pleasure. Um, and, and I'm definitely looking forward, like I said, to share the valuable insights that you shared with the Business Talk Library community, because I think it's always good when people can hear from different perspectives and learn from the different views and the different experiences that others have had. Great. Terrell Turner from Talk Library, Charles Musgrove Answers Account. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace.